Welcome to Empower Humans. Welcome again to the Empower Humans podcast. This is episode 137 with Sid Garza-Hillman. Man, oh man, we had a great conversation here. You guys are going to love this. Uh, Great talk about, number one, he's got a new book coming out called Six Truths. Live by these truths and be happy. Don't and you won't. He's also got another couple books we talked about mentioned the podcast, so listen for that. Uh, He also has his own podcast called What Sid Thinks. Uh, All kinds of really in-depth principles, uh, especially surrounding the intertwined nature of health, wellness, fitness, uh, as well as happiness. And, uh, of course, this new book, of course, talks about just the nature of being happy. Uh, so we talked at length about his uh, ultra marathon career and how he's also a race director and some things. But not just that, like the mechanics of it, but the real deep philosophical things. By the way, he's a philosophy major, so there's a lot of uh, really deep things that we got into together and uh, just a nice conversation all around. I'll let you be the judge of that, but let's uh, real quick remind you, you are absolutely priceless before we jump into this podcast. I hope you're always reminded of that. Listen to lots of episodes. We say that uh, on every episode, I believe. You are absolutely priceless. Nothing ever can change that. No matter what you've done right or wrong, there's hope for you and uh, no matter what other people say, do have uh, whatever around you that none of that ever changes any that's an unchanging state you are absolutely priceless that means you're above the monetary riches nonsense of this world uh, we even have an episode go back and listen to it called you are priceless kind of more in depth about that and also you're never alone right now a lot of people are feeling alone i know it uh, there have been times i've felt alone uh, you're not alone in feeling alone sometimes <laughs> reach out go to our instagram Send me a message at Empower101 or info at EmpowerHumans.com. Also on Twitter, same thing. I'm not on Twitter as much, just in full transparency. Uh, But if you need anything, reach out. Family, friends, neighbors, me. uh, All kinds of ways that you can reach out for support. I know people are struggling. Let's not hide this nonsense. People are struggling. Kids out of school. They want to do the things they want to do. Even in Sid's case, you know, spoiler alert, he talked about he had to cancel some events that he, uh, you know, uh, marathon events, ultra marathon stuff that he was doing uh, both last year and now this year uh, because of all this. Just difficult, frustrating stuff. And for me, concerts and sporting events and all the, the things, plus here in Vegas where I am, shows are closed, buffets are closed. But, 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 my friends, there is hope. And I mean, but just with one T, there is hope, my friends. Uh, Let's stay positive. Let's keep our heads up. We're going to all come out of this stronger and I hope and pray more unified as a human species. I'm not going to be any more long winded. Real quick, our our, uh, challenges, study, start studying, keep studying. Uh, Whatever that is for you, find something that resonates. I've been reading with my boys. We pick some books. We're just reading some fiction together just so we read together. Um, Do that with your kids. Do that with a loved one. Do that just with yourself. I don't know your situation, but uh, the fact that you're around means there's tons of great potential. And and in this podcast, we talk more about that. Make great moments, our second challenge. Uh, Generally, that's related to loved ones that's a surprise let's take initiative let's go the extra mile let's do things that uh, that make a difference and uh, really prove to people especially that we love them that's where these uh, make great moments uh, things start to happen these will be pillars in our lives uh, and I promise you that you won't regret it and the last challenge let's keep doing this podcast together I will point out I kind of fouled up at the beginning of the podcast because when we were talking before uh, I asked him where he was located he said he's in 
uh, I heard the word Encino, Encino County, or excuse me, Encino Coast. And uh, so I brought that up and he said, no, it's not Encino, it's Mendocino. And I said, you know what, we're just going to keep that in the podcast. So anyway, listen for that. Listen for some other great uh, principles and stories and uh, topics related from the ultramarathon to everything else. Without further ado, let's jump right in. Here's our interview with the one and only Sid Garza-Hillman. Here we go. We are pleased as heck to welcome Sid Garza-Hillman who is a uh, podcaster, a writer, nutritionist, uh, just happiness expert all around, and also race director, YouTuber, uh, lots and lots of great hats that you wear. Sid, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Phil. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, it's our pleasure to have you. So you, uh, you're you coming to us from, you said Encino Coast. Whereabouts is that? You said Northern California. Yeah, Mendocino. Uh, Mendocino oh, Coast. Mendocino. It's, That's it's what about I was like. Three. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, Mendocino Coast. It's a, uh, it's about a good three and a half, four hours. Well, three and a half hour drive from from uh, San Francisco north, um, okay. and right on the coast. It's really beautiful. I moved up here from Los Angeles, so it's uh, quite a different scene. Okay, yeah, because I lived in L.A., so I know all about Encino. So I was like, maybe it's just the audio cut out when we were chatting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, where's Encino Coast? Yes, I, yes, Mendocino. Very, um, very different than Encino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, like, you're, you're right. Polar, you're, polar opposite. <laughs> you lived in L.A. I used to live in Woodland Hills and kind of surrounding area, but uh, so yeah. Anyway, yeah, it's very different. I've been to Mendocino, but I'm glad we clarified that. I'm not even going to edit that out. Normal human stuff that happens. Good stuff. No. Anyway, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's the real stuff. Yes, the stuff people came for. Oh, he fouled up today, right at the top of the podcast. Let's talk, uh, if you don't mind, and uh, maybe we're on a little bit of a delay and we'll figure that part out. But um, let's talk. I always like to talk about people's background because it's always interesting and fascinating to me what drives people, maybe things that happen in their lives. Sometimes there's little pivot points of this or that event happened. Um, but talk to me about some of your background and I don't know if you want to go back to your childhood and your family, what, what brought you to where this is such a passionate thing for you between health and wellness and happiness and all the things that you're doing so well now? Yeah. So I, I have a very curvy road. Uh, my upbringing was, was by all accounts, fine, you know, good. Um, I did on a physical level have issues like allergies and, um, you know, asthma, uh, pretty bad asthma as a, as a, as a young kid. Um, grew up fine in uh, LA and San Diego and then Houston. My dad was with the, the airline and, um, and we moved around because of that. And then um, I went to college at UCLA and majored, started off thinking, well, I better be practical. So economics and political science kind of thing. Ended up taking a philosophy class by chance uh, for an elective and absolutely fell in love with it. So <clears throat> declared philosophy, mm -hmm. graduated from UCLA in, in 91. Um, but I had always been a passion of mine was music. And so when I graduated from UCLA, my goal was to forge a career as a singer songwriter. And so I got the easiest job I could find, which was working at UCLA in the audiovisual department and, and playing gigs at night and tutoring kids and things like that. And, um, but still a, an asthmatic and by chance uh, I was handed a book in about 1992, uh, that, that, I changed my diet as a result of just a little change in my diet. My asthma went away for the first time in, in my whole life. And that really started, even though I was playing music and later kind of fell into acting. So I started being a, you know, I was a working actor for over 10 years in Los Angeles. And so I was able to quit the, the day job as they say, and, and pursue music and make my living as an actor. Mm. Um, but started reading, reading books on wellness and nutrition, everything I could get my hands on. I just absolutely was fascinated by the, by the way that I was able to, 
improve my health with a little bit of change and get off medication for the first time my whole life and all those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty cool. And, and, and eventually short story got kind of burnt on Los Angeles, frankly, musically, we were doing okay touring and putting out albums and, but the acting, the whole thing got a little crazy. So my wife and I decided to move and we moved into this little town but then had no idea what to do. My idea was to go back to LA and do some acting now and then. But by the time I got up here, I just, the business had changed and I didn't really want to do it anymore. So I decided to go back to school and found a resort um, that's here on the coast that I still work uh, almost 15 years later, um, running their wellness center that's called the Stanford Inn and Resort. And so I, mm. I talked to Joan and Jeff, they own the resort and I said, Hey, if I go back to school and become a nutritionist, can I teach here? And they said, absolutely. So they've been very supportive the whole time. So anyway, total mm -hmm. career change. It was like, just out of like, what do I feel passionate about? What have I been kind of doing on the side for years? Can I make this a real thing? And, and then that was that. And then I've had challenges since that have inspired me to write the, bo the books that I've written and things like that. But that was the, the original thing. Wow. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, growing up in that kind of situation, the way you did, and then coming back to LA, um, LA is just such an interesting place. And <laughs> it's, it's like a love hate thing. I, I used to love, love, love LA, but it's more love hate, kind of like lukewarm with LA now, but everything from the traffic to the taxes and all the nonsense. Uh, but then there's nice beaches and Disneyland and sports teams and <laughs> whatnot. But so, so let's rewind yeah. real quick to LA. Cause you said music, what do you do musically? Like I'm a drummer, for example, I went to school in LA and stuff too. So I'd like to compare a little notes. What did you, what did you do musically? Yeah, cool. I, I have a love hate. Real. I loved LA by the way, my wife and I absolutely, I loved, I went to UCLA, like I said, graduated and had no intention of leaving Los Angeles. I loved Los Angeles for a long time. Like mm -hmm. we, we had great, like we didn't have kids. Like we got married and we were married for like nine years before we had children. And, and we, in that time, you know, playing, playing gigs and going out with, like, I love, there's so much about LA I love. And I always think it gets a bad rap from people. It's like, Oh, sunset strip. It's like, no, I don't ever go to sunset strip. <laughs> you know, like there's so cool <laughs> architecture. There's so, so many great things. We lived right by the LA County museum. There was all this, it was just a really good time, but eventually it just wears on you. You know, it's like where it wore me down, but, um, Musically, I headed up a band, still technically do, but it's not as active because my rest of my bands is still in Los Angeles, but it's called the Sid Hillman Quartet. Oh. And I was the the principal, you know, uh, it was my band. I did all the songwriting and um, we put out, let's see, one, four full length albums, two EPs. I toured in Europe and, and all over the US and Canada and, you know, very indie, uh, kind of a alt Western uh country rock more more alternative than western but still had a little bit of a, a western feel to it hmm. and i still write you know i still do that thing but yeah i was the guitar i played guitar and sang but then on albums i would play you know piano and accordion and keyboards and whatever else i needed to layer things in with but um yeah so we did that and and uh there's a little documentary about us on youtube and ah. um i still love muteness i still it's still a passion you know but uh but eventually the like i said i stopped playing la eventually by the time i lived down there i was like i don't want to play gigs here anymore there, you know because it was just too it was just too the the industry is too crazy you know in, a, in not a good creative way yeah no i couldn't agree more it's a very interesting thing and uh playing guitar see playing music at least for me for those of us who get into music it kind of becomes if nothing else it becomes something therapeutic in life just like here's a release here's a thing um and uh, we don't need to touch too much on music, but since you mentioned and you've done a fair amount of things, you mentioned the word touring. I was like, okay, you must have done some things with music here. Um, plus, you went to school and worked at UCLA and all that. So, uh, yeah, 
That's cool. I mean, and you, I'm glad that you express some of the passion for LA too, because it kind of revives me. There are some great things in LA. It's just, it's, it's tough to navigate living in LA uh, unless you have $50 million and above <laughs> as well. Uh, it's the it's traffic. So but anyway, we don't need to dwell on that. Thank you for sharing all that. Let's talk about, speaking of therapeutic, let's talk about kind of the health pursuit. Um, and, and obviously you talked about um, asthma and things and uh, kind of reading all these wellness books. Um, what was it about all that that kind of triggered some uh, passionate life mission in you? Yeah, I, I, it's, well, first of all, I'll say one thing real quick to bounce back to the music thing. I, yeah. I, it is very much a part of my approach. Uh, the creativity part is a very much a part of my approach to this day. I, I, I find, and we'll probably get into this, but but health and wellness for me is a way bigger picture than food and even than exercise, and does include yeah. creativity in a major way. Um, so so I for a while kind of didn't talk about music too much, but now in my podcast and my in my work, like I I bring that in in a very serious way. It's it's people who kind of put that on the back burner, and I think that's such an essential part of living well is having some creative outlet, whether it's music yeah. or writing or anything like that. So it it is it is to me it's all part and parcel to the to the big wellness picture, but um. I think that that for me, I guess just seeing the change in my own health, how I felt, uh, it certainly made my music uh, better in terms of me not having to take a freaking inhaler all, you know, all the time, and mm -hmm. um, you know, being able to, to to feel better and noticing the power of that. And so, there, I don't know why I became passionate about it. I don't know, but it was fascinating to me, and maybe it just caught me at the right time, right place of like, this is amazing, and and never having done any kind of research into it, I just realized there was a whole world of, of information out there that I wanted to get as much of it in my head as I possibly could. So I don't know. I can't. I can't tell you like one thing except for it just was, uh, an amazing time to 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 be able to take control of my own health in a, in a profound way. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned just before we started here about being a race director and you talk about uh, the term ultra marathon, which, by the way, is something to me that's kind of a daunting term <laughs> and maybe to a lot of people listening and in general in the world. I know a lot of people do these things. One of the more famous of them uh, is our friend David Goggins, who you may know of uh, as well. Oh, yeah. He does, you I know, do. he'll run a couple hundred miles and stuff. <laughs> I mean, over the course of some days. But uh, talk to me about the ultra marathon yeah. thing and, and what that takes and whatever you want to share about it. The mindset, uh, it's just, uh, again, it's, it's something that I understand logically, but it's not something that I engage in, at least at the moment. Maybe you can convince me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I probably can't. I mean, I don't know. We'll see. It's an uphill battle. I don't know. Um, I will. I'm very familiar with David Goggins. In fact, I um I did his four by four by forty eight. Uh, just during this pandemic is shut in. I was like, yeah, I'm gonna do that. And so it's like four miles. It's four. It was four miles every four hours for forty eight hours. I did that challenge. Oh yeah, that was a, something that he developed. But anyways, <laughs> yeah. Um, for me, yeah, for me it was it was a kind of a natural progression from my nutrition wellness um I'm, i've been a recreational runner for a long time just you know a few miles here a few miles there um at 45 years old i thought let me i i was eating even better and just sort of improving that side of things and feeling better on my runs and so i thought i wonder if i could you know do more and so i thought well i'll try in for a marathon so in 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 that year i ran two marathons but frankly like didn't love them i mean it was fine i got through them and it was fine I did fine but it wasn't it wasn't something I was like, oh, I got to do more of these. Um, I did 
read at that time a book called Born to Run, which I'm sure you've heard about. If you haven't, it's a really good, really mm-hmm. fun book to read. But anyways, I, in that book, realized trail running, what's going on there? Like I was always like, you hike on trails, you don't run on trails. And so I was opened up into this world of trail running. So then immediately I thought, I want to do this just, just because I was, like I said, feeling better. And I'm like, well, maybe I can do this. And so at I started training for my first um, ultra marathon, which is basically anything more than a marathon. So a marathon is 26.2. So anything above that is, is considered an ultra marathon. So the first Mm. race I trained for was a 50 miler, um, a 50 mile trail run outside of, um, uh, Auburn, uh, California is called the American river 50. So I started training for that, had no idea what I was doing. So I actually hired a coach, a professional ultra runner who I heard on a podcast and I called him up and I was like, Hey, can you coach me for a couple months? And he said, yeah, sure. So he was like inexpensive and I, <laughs> I just like, please help me. And so he got me going, um, on a training regimen for a couple months. And then I, and then that was enough. I kind of got the idea. So I continued and, and ran a, in training, I ran a 50 K, which is about 31, 32 miles. And then, um, during that training, and then I ended up doing the 50 and had a, had a, had a, had a good experience with both and then continued. But during that training, I was on local trails. I had a, uh, a, wom- a woman that I just came in contact with because she's another trail runner also named Sid. And she was very familiar mm-hmm. with the, um, the, tr- the local trails around here that I had no idea about. And I had already lived here for a while, but I had no idea. This so beautiful, this incredible. So she's tra- taking me on all these trails and I go, there's got to be an ultra marathon around here. And she goes, no. And I looked it up and there no- never was. And I thought, I think I want to start a race here. This is insane. There's how can you not have a trail run? This is like one of the most beautiful places in the world. Right. So I just having no experience, just started researching again and just put together my own race that ended up selling out in the first year. It had like eight people signed up after I had launch registration for like a month, there was eight people. I was like, well, I guess I'll run it and take them out to lunch afterwards. But, but within a month and a half after that, I had sold it out. And ever since then I have zero, I've spent zero money on promotion. It is a word of mouth race Mm. that sells out in this, this last year sold out in 25 minutes. Um, and it's just been a super, super fun thing. I was so disappointed this year to have to cancel it, uh, in 2020 and actually just had to cancel 2021 too. Cause we're just, there's no way that the, I can't even get a permit for this year. So it looks like I'm going to have to push till 2022. Uh, uh, so much of that stuff going on from, I mean, in being in the music world, as we both are passionate about between that and sports and marathon type activities and all these things, it's just frustrating as heck. <laughs> it, is, it is. It's such a bummer. Yeah. But the mind, you know, the mind you had asked about the mindset, the mindset around ultra running, it seems daunting, but what I love about it and, and really what I learned and that fed my approach, my, my coaching, um, you know, health coaching is something that the, that the, ultra marathon coach said to me right away. I had been a, like I said, a recreational runner, you know, run a kind of a eight, nine minute pace. That's just kind of what it was. He goes, you got to slow down. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you got to, you're running a, for a 50 miler. Now you got to think long view. You got to think along. So you mm. go out for a five mile run. Yeah. You can run that five miles in nine minute pace, but that's not what you're training for. So, so I started running slower and I mean a lot slower, like a 12 minute pace, like a 12, 13 minute, like, like a little, very slow, but all of a sudden, because I'm slowing down, I'm able to, to run 15 miles, then 20 miles and 25 miles, and then come home and not be curled up on a couch like I used to be, but, but hanging out with my kids and having a day of fun. Wow. Um, and that was a big, that was a, yeah. And that was a big lesson for me. Like that was part of my, um, 
learning how to, with clients, slow them down so they can have time to, ad- I call my, my main approach to, to, through my small steppers course is called awareness-based habit change. To, to slow down the process so that you're aware of your own stress during the building of habits. So you're able to mentally and physically adapt along the way to slow. I slow my clients down. I'm like, wait, you've done diet after diet. You've bounced back. You've, you've, you've yo-yo dieted for years. We're going to slow this down. You're not going to go all in tomorrow. You're going to take it easy because we're thinking long view here. We're not thinking tomorrow or in a week or even in 21 days. We're going to think years from now. So you got to set that stage. And that was, that was the mindset that I loved ultra running for. and still do. It is a under the radar, not, not super corporate. There's a little bit of that now, but not definitely not my race. Um, it's very indie people show up. They're not fancy. There's no, you know, it's like a, it's a real kind of grounding, fun, intimate kind of, uh, event still. But the mindset around ultra running is, is really, you hear with great stories about, you know, the leader gets off track and the guy in second goes, dude, you just took a wrong turn. Like there, you know, there it's, it's not highly, it's not dog eat dog. It's not, it's oh. really kind of a cool community that I, that, that I really love. Yeah. That's great. And I love the analogies. I mean, it's, you think back over history, some of the very best teachers, religious or otherwise have taught with analogies and parables. And it's great that you're intertwining your knowledge and views of the world and life experience between music and fitness and wellness kinds of things, because in reality, our lives are intertwined. And I, uh, by the way, how long does it take to, you talk about slowing down to go 50 miles. How long does that take? I mean, I'm imagining maybe six, seven hours. You tell me, it depends on the person. <laughs> well, it depends. It, it, boy, does it depend. I, the first year I ran my race, I had a world record holder show up. He was, I had a sponsor called ultra shoes and they, and they had one of their runners. They said, can we have a, one of our guys come up and run? I said, sure. Turned out he was a world record. Zach bitter. His name is, and he ran my race in three hours and 50 minutes, which is, which is a 30 it's my race is actually like about 34 miles on trails. By the way, there's about 5,000 feet of climb during the, oh. during the run. Wow. And he finished it in a, in a, in a, in a very respectable marathon time. So he burned through that. My, um, my 50 miler that I ran, and I'm not a fast runner. I'm a mid, mid to back of the pack runner, but it took me 11 hours and 52 minutes. Okay. Um, and so it's, 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 oh, it's, it's, it's a, I mean, the top runners probably would run it in seven hours. I don't even know what their, what their records are, but yeah, no, you, you That's most, true. you know, in my run, the one I, yeah, the one I direct, the top runners will come in four to five hours. Um, and then most people will come in seven to eight, yeah, six to six, to eight hours. And mine's a 34 mile race. Um, and then, the, and then the back of the package will come in at around nine, nine hours. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you're on trails. So it's sometimes you're walking up trails so steep that you have to hike. Cause it's, it's like, it's faster to hike than it is to, to run up a, up a hill that steep. So, um, <laughs> it's a, it's a whole nother world than marathoning. Yeah, yeah, it is. I know. And especially downhill. Cause there are some serious downhills too. And so, you know, you're at mile 28 and you're feeling pretty fatigued and you're going down a really steep hill with rocks, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, you, when you're on trails, what I love about it is it forces you, it's a forced, um, meditation is kind of how I talk about it. It's a, um, you're forced to pay attention. You're forced to be in the present. You can't zone out when you're on a trail that has roots and rocks and, and all this kind of stuff and curves, you have to pay attention. And it's a really nice time to be that way instead of all the distractions that we're up against every day and podcasts and things. And I love podcasts. <laughs> I'm a podcaster, but music and, and, and news and the phones in our hands, when you're out on a trail, you can't, 
you can't zone out. You'll fall. And I have, trust me, but you have to be there. You have to be present and it forces you to appreciate where you're at and in beautiful trees and running along a river you have to be there. And it's, it's a, it's a pretty great thing. That's my sell to ultra running is, is to, is to try to get out on a trail and run. Cause you'll see that you, you don't have to try to meditate. You're there. You're right in the present. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, you're, you're starting a decent sell on me and our audience. We'll see where we go. But uh, <laughs> okay. is there something about this? We're talking about the analogy part by being on a trail versus like a flat track where you're just boring going around in circles kind of thing. Um, is there something about this that maybe helps you face life because, Oh, you come around a turn and all of a sudden, Oh, here's this, this tree and this hike all of a sudden I didn't expect, or this downhill that, Oh yeah, this was coming up. I mean, you probably know the trail well by now, but as, as you first start to do one of these races and you, you realize, oh, okay, I'm coming to something new around every turn. Does that help you face life better? And also how do you like, do you get discouraged as you come around turns? Oh, I got to go up this big hill now and I'm tired. Like your mindset has to kind of, there's got to be ebbs and flows kind of thing where it's okay. I'm feeling good. Oh, no, I'm discouraged. And before you know it, 11 hours later, you're done, but there's, <laughs> there's gotta be a process of ups and downs. And how does that help you face life? Well, I completely agree. And, and absolutely is the answer to that question. Um, trail running, um, you know, like you like, in, like you said, around a track or marathon and, and, and it's not, I'm not dissing that at all. It, it's fine. It's just a matter of, um, I like the variability I like the versatility. I like the that it forces you to be adaptable. So I think there's many life lessons that to get from. And you don't look. You don't have to run 50 miles, but you can go run on a trail for a mile. You know, you can get out there mm -hmm. and just be out there running on a trail. Um, but it, it takes the body in a different place. Um, there's a lot of lateral movement, a lot of different muscles that you don't use, even if you're just running along a road where it's, you know, let's face it, roads are artificially flat. It's not how nature is. And so we right. have made that artificially flat. And there's a lot of just pounding kind of repetitive motion, whereas on trails, there's a lot more, it's much easier to me, it's much easier on the body. You're moving around a little bit more. You're exercising different muscles. Um, and, you know, take it slow, obviously. But yeah, I think that, that I love that variability. I and there is like you run 50 miles. It's you are taken. People go, why would you do that to yourself? It's like, <laughs> this is a time to be in a way shed, like the layers come off. You're taken down to that level where you want to quit in sometimes, and you somehow find a place to push through that. And yeah. even in the worst of times, and it's interesting that I interviewed a guy on my podcast one time named Matt Fitzgerald, who's done a bunch of, he's a great writer, done a bunch of books on running and stuff like that. And he did a book on like mental, the mental side of running. How bad do you want? I think it's called. Huh. Anyway, he said, you know, and I had this exact experience where during the 50 miler, I was absolutely to the end, like just brutal, like so exhausted, just couldn't, you know, barely hiking along. And yet the last two miles I ran through. And yes. he goes, if you're, if you're really, if you're really physically debilitated, you're not going to pick it up and run the last two miles of a 50 mile race. It's mental, right? It's mental. And that's the thing that people find when they do an ultra run sometimes is that they find that very bottom that they think is the bottom, but then they realize it's actually not. And they find something in themselves that pushes, that continues them to go. And, and that is the feeling that they want to get back to because in life, it puts a certain amount of perspective where you come up to some sort of stressful thing in life and you go, this ain't bad. I've seen worse than this, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and when you take yourself to that level, <laughs> then all of a sudden the things that you got so bent out of shape, you go like, whatever, man, I was at mile 40 about to collapse and still found myself, my strength to come through. Yes. I can handle this. And I think that that's where people are going with this.
Wow, that is powerful, powerful stuff. I'm, and I learned some of this from our friend David Goggins. I haven't learned it from experience. You know, I'll go run a few miles at a time, but I ain't running more than ten for sure. Uh, at least at this right. point, I just turned forty. I guess I, it's, there's still time for me. Should I choose? But um, the but oh, yeah. the, the depth of the lessons is still the biggest treasure here that we're talking about, about life lessons, about mindset right. and, and the mentality. Cause David Goggins talks about even with his, like he's broken all these pull-ups records and all kinds of things and yep. uh, special forces and multiple branches of the military and all these like massive accomplishments where people drop out of just like becoming a Navy SEAL There's massive fallout there. Where people just can't, <laughs> can't get through that hell week yeah. and all that stuff. So Let's let's dig deep there for a second. I want to I want to hear how you feel when you're done with one of these marathons because I can't imagine it's just like the the biggest feeling of satisfaction and relief. I can't even probably put into words what it probably feels like, um, and and just the deep mental lessons there as we transition and talk more about some of what you do in in, in you know with your books and with this uh, awareness based habit change and your small steps approach to to becoming better as people. Um, what would anything else you want to share about mindset and or how you feel when you're done with the marathons? <laughs> I'm just I'm just fascinated sure, by all of it. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and by the way, let me add, like I again, I and I'm not again, I'm not a great runner, but I I ran my first ultra at 46, and and I'm 52. Okay. My race every year has around 10 over 60s finish and and over 70s. I've had over 70 year old people finish my race every year. I mean, awesome. that's insane in, a, in the best way. Yeah. I got a guy who's 70, 74 last time he ran. It comes across. He goes, oh my God, that was great. He goes walking off. 74 years old, running a 34 mile trail run. This is a thing that everybody can do. I know that sounds insane. And it is, you're doing it and you're training. You're like, it's, it's the first race you do is going to be 90% mental because it seems daunting and seems crazy. But again, like it's a pretty easy extrapolation to look at life and go, the things that fear keep us from doing, where is, and this is what Goggins is all about, right? If you think, you know, I've, I've, I've followed him for years. I've read, read his book and everything, but um, it's capturing that mental side of it. It's, it's we want to make it about the physical, oh, running 34 miles, but it's the daunting nature of, of that, how we perceive 34 miles or 50 miles and we go 50 miles and it's a mental thing. It's a mental thing. And when we can get ourselves and in, into a place where we can, do that, it does open up possibilities in a multi in, in a multitude of areas. It's it's a way for us to kind of like I said capture that that we never we're so comfortable in the modern world. I mean, let's face it, we we the slightest discomfort, we have a, a solution. We have a little headache, we get Tylenol, we have a little upset stomach, we get Pepto Bismol, we get a little <laughs> uh, sad. We've got movies and TV and 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 things to distract. We're distraction. We got social media. We're never in a place. And I think a lot, and my new book is, is trying to capture this. I think if we can embrace the idea of hard work and embrace the idea of struggle and embrace the idea of discomfort, Goggins sounds like a crazy person because he understands and it embraces feeling uncomfortable. He has, he has won that battle and he know, he's not trying to not feel, not feel discomfort. He owns it. And goes, yes, there's discomfort in life. And when you're okay with that and you accept that, it makes you free because then you're what, what can't you do? Because you're no longer afraid of being a little bit you know, uncomfortable. You're like, fine, you're, you're not afraid of being afraid. You can, you've conquered that. And I think on some level, that's what people are chasing. They want to feel liberated from the fear that keeps them from doing things to, mm -hmm. you know, pursuing 
things that are that they're passionate about and so that that for me is the is the big is the big kind of mental picture of that yeah yeah i couldn't agree more and and when you're done with the race just tell me real fast how do we feel when we're oh done? yeah well, you feel exhausted. Um, I have a YouTube <laughs> video called my first 50 miler. You can see, you know, me finishing the race. My daughter um, walked across the, you know, ran, jogged across the finish line with me, which was part of the, one of the best things awesome. ever. Um, yeah. And you feel, um, you know, you feel obviously exhausted, but you, f- you feel like you've been through something. I guess that's probably the best way I can, I can, um, talk about that you you've you know i've done races where i'm like i don't want to ever do a race ever again but then all of a sudden you're like i'm doing another race at some point you know and so um you do you feel like you've accomplished something you know there's a lot of training that goes into it i i i believe just showing up to the starting line is is 90 percent of the battle you've you've won just by showing up to the starting line even if you don't finish the race uh, because it is such a um you're nervous about it. You don't sleep the night before. Then you're worried that you didn't get enough sleep and you, sh- but you walk up to the start line and that's the thing. That's the moment where you go, um, I didn't let this beat me. Yeah. I may not finish it, but I didn't let, I didn't shy away from the challenge. And I think that that is, um, it, it feeds into a really good life. If you can kind of put yourself into those moments, this isn't, I like, I think people try to interpret it as, uh, you know, you're just, abusing yourself and it's it's not you know that you're a glutton for punishment it's not it really isn't that it, it really is not that it's it's a um it's a whole nother thing and again like if you may not people may not be into ultra marathons but to, to find find something that pushes you in that way and you'll see um it's not like we're all type a people trying to beat ourselves up and just you know do this crazy stuff it, there's a there's definitely a philosophical side for some people to ultra running and these kinds of challenges that's not just about a time on a watch at all it's about the experience of it yeah you know it reminds me too or, or you know tony robbins talks about framing and and one of the things he says as you may be aware is that uh, nothing has meaning inherently, nothing, running, anything else, your relationship, we assign meaning to everything. And so these folks who are in their 70s or, you know, even in my case, oh, ultramar, that's beyond me. That's not my thing. And people just define themselves. It's a very interesting thing. We could go for hours and hours and hours on that. We're not going to today, uh, but <laughs> it's just such a deep, deep thing about us as people. And when you open that, uh, for lack of a better term, Pandora's box of like what we're really capable of. And you talk about digging deep, you talk about, uh, you know, you and Goggins and these other guys and gals that uh, dig deep and just push through the discomfort of it all, the exhaustion and all those things. And it's more than just, we're beating ourselves up. There's this depth of, I mean, having been a philosophy major as you were, I'm sure there's even more (laughs) depth in your mind about all of it. And we don't need to spend all day on the running. I'm just fascinated by all of it. And I, and I know that's also a, informed a lot of what you do uh outside of just you know the physical labor for lack of a better word of 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 the running itself um how how is that all intertwined between uh, not to make too big of a transition here and you're welcome to you know backpedal if you want to as well on the on the running but how is it intertwined between health and wellness and happiness? Like, can't we just be, some people use the term fat and happy. Can't we just sit in our chair and eat chips and get fat and watch whatever on TV and, and just be a happy person? Like, how is it all intertwined, Sid? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good to. question. And, and Yeah, yeah. No, no, no worries. The only thing I'd say about running is, is I didn't, I just don't want your listeners thinking, you know, this is about running 
Uh, I, I mean, it partially is, but it's really, it's, yeah, but it's really not like, this is about, um, this is about challenging yourself. This is about hard work. I think that, uh, you know, frankly, I don't think you can be fat and happy. I don't think you can be sitting on a couch doing nothing. I don't think that's how we're designed. I don't think that, and this is all about philosophy. You know, all three of my books are philosophy books at heart. They're health oriented, but it's the mindset. It's the, it's the thinking behind it. Um, mm -hmm. I think that we're a hard, a hard, I think we're, we're a hardworking speed. I think Tony Robbins, by the way, I don't really follow him much. I know who he is obviously, but I, I think he's right on the money with that. I think that we often define ourselves by potentially how we've been behaving. When I do coaching, the first thing I do before we do act one in changing diet or, or extra, I'm a certified running coach too. So some people work with me on the running. I'm doing a breathing. I'm a breathing instructor. Now there's all these kinds of, before we do any kind of act, I go, wait a second. You came to me and you said, I'm a binger. You came to me and you said, you're out, you have no control around food. You came to me and said, you're fat. You came to me and said, you're lazy. Let's talk about now who you actually are, because you're obviously not happy with those things. And so I try to get to the point of like, who, are, who is the person that is not happy with those aspects about them? Because you're actually not those things. Mm -hmm. You just are defining yourselves by those things, but you're not actually those things. If you come to me and you're obese and you go, I'm unhappy that I'm obese. I go, then who is the person that's unhappy about it? Let's get that person in living in the world. You're not an obese person. You're just behaving in a way that's in conflict with who you actually are. Yeah. So what I'm helping people do is not transition to a new kind of person. I'm helping them become who they really see themselves deep down. They, like Tony Robbins was saying, like you were saying, they assign this kind of like, I'm a binger, but yet with a very little amount of work, they start to see like, oh, wait a second. I'm not a binger. I've been binging, but I actually have the power to not binge. And I actually vow, and I actually see myself somewhere as somebody who doesn't binge because I don't like that. I don't like that I'm doing that thing. And so it's a transition from saying I'm a crappy person because I binge to, you know, my binging is just in conflict with who I really am. And I need mm -hmm. to, I need to get that person out into the world more. So it's for me, it's the challenges. It's not about ultra running per se. That's just where I found this kind of thing, but it can be anything. It can be anything um, where you're taking yourself out of your comfort zone, where you are putting yourself in a place intentionally that, that tears you down in a safe way. It's not like when I'm ultra running that I'm going to die. People have, I'm sure, but like the numbers are teeny. It's a say you could drop whenever you want. Like I, I quit. It's fine. But it's mm -hmm. getting to a place where you are being torn down. That's why David Goggins is addicted to those kinds of things because he understands and has seen the other side of those things. And that's the liberation and freedom of this. I think that, that in the modern world, we are perpetuating a, a model of distraction from living well. We are, it is too easy for us to not think about our lives. It is too easy for us to tune out and to phone in our day to day to just kind of go through the motions without getting to that deeper level of existence. And I think that these little challenges pop you into this like, oh wait, there's more here. Um, and so that's what I'm trying to capture with people. That's what I'm trying to capture in my books and, and everything I do is to try to, and in my own life, by the way, I'm not, I don't live perfectly. I'm struggling with this way too, but I know the direction that I'm struggling for. I know I've seen things that mean that make me want to continue this trek. And so I'm trying to help people get to that same place where they're in a, 
in a, ment- a mindset of discovery and adventure and trials and challenges. And they're getting less and less afraid as, as you know, the days progress. Yeah. And, and it's worth pointing out too. And thank you for sharing all of that, that you could have consigned yourself to, I'm the guy with asthma. I don't run. I don't do any of this stuff. And, uh, and by the way, I'm just going to be fat and happy or, or, or any version of something like that. And instead you, you decided to do all the things you did. You helped yourself, you did research and it really is all about taking initiative and uh, taking those steps. I'm reminded since this week was groundhog day of uh, well, it's Bill Murray's other movie. Uh, what about Bob <laughs> where the right. Richard Dreyfus has his book, baby steps, which uh, well, that was all uh, comic, you know, comedy and uh, lots of fun and go back and watch. That's 30 plus years old. I think now wonderful movie though, but it's in line, the, at least the idea of baby steps with some of what you do uh, in terms of these uh, small steps and the uh, uh, what you mentioned earlier, the awareness-based habit change. Let's talk about that. There's so many, like I could go with like five dozen places right now with every, like all the amazing stuff you've shared, but let's talk about that. Let's talk about that process of habit change. We talked about the obese person or someone else not happy with some, I'm addicted to this. I'm an alcoholic or, uh, you know, whatever, mistreating people, the different things that people do that are most would consider bad habits. Even the people themselves doing them know that deep down. Um, what's yeah. that process? What's that process for you? And when you work with clients and stuff? Well, my process is 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 about the I, my mantra. I don't even use the word mantra, but but what I, what I always repeat is mind bo- mind first, body second, mind first, body second. And what yeah. that means is that if we have a desire to like get healthy, let's say, let's say we're overweight and we're not happy about that. Most people, because of the flashy kind of marketing that's out there and stuff, they're going to dive right into a diet. That's body first. And in fact, most cases, it's body only. They want the scale weight. They think that the scale weight's going to deliver them happiness. That's rarely the case. The, for me, a healthy weight is a side effect. It's a, it's, a, it's a side effect of a healthy, happy person will be at a healthy weight. It's sort of a, I don't want that to be the goal. You know, six pack abs, you go to a DVD plan. My approach is to say, we're going to wait on those actions. We're going to tackle the mind first. We're going to define who you are, how you want to live your life, your ideals, how you really see yourself, independent of how you've been behaving even yesterday. How do you actually see yourself? We need to establish a direction that we can move into. Otherwise, if you don't have a direction in like an anchor place, you're going to go from, of course, you're going to go from one diet to the next. Diets will deliver weight loss. Most of them will deliver weight loss. They just won't deliver it long-term. So you have to first establish, do you just want to lose weight and gain it back? Yeah. Do you just want to get six-pack abs and then lose them? Do you just want to have a happy, you know, like learn how to communicate with your kid, but then it falls away because you didn't ever, you know, you never established the habit? Or do you want long-term? If you want long-term, you got to do the mental work first. You got to prepare yourself for what's to come. So to me, it's about defining, it's about knowledge, it's about discovering things about themselves. And then once I'm kind of like, okay, I think we're, we're ready, then we begin the process of establishing habits. That's where the small steps comes in. That's the implementation of, of actions. Small steps, in many cases, I'm not the only one who talks about them, obviously. Um, for most people, it's like, you know, micro steps of two minutes, this. For me, it's not that at all. A small step is a mindset. So in other words, a small step for one person might be really big compared to a small step for another person. I've had people who come to me and they have cancer. Their small step in the diet realm is to change their diet overnight. Yeah. 
because for them, the, the motivation is there and they are mentally ready to make that much of a change. It's going to be long-term because of their circumstances. But for other people, and this is not a joke, Phil, I have started off people with a stock of celery per day in their, in their, in their trek to begin he eating healthy, one stock of celery per day, because they have in their past gone all in on multiple times diets and, and failed every time because they're not set up. So this time I go, wait a second, what can you do today? That is like the easiest thing that you don't even worry about and no problem. And they, sometimes they go one, you know, one piece of like one stock of celery, but then what happens is, is the habit begins to establish. And then in a few weeks, and this actually happened one time with a, I always tell this story, morbidly obese woman. In a month later, I called her. I said, listen, do you eat healthy food every day? And for the first time in 50 years of her life of eating junk food every day, she goes, yeah, I do eat healthy food every day. That stock of celery. Now, most people think, oh, well, stock of celery doesn't do anything. It's mind first, body second. I need the establishment there. She's identifying and realizing she does have the power to eat healthy food. She's not eating 100% healthy food. And by the way, had tried that already multiple times and failed, but she's now in the identification phase. She's changing the way that she does business in her life. So then that stock of celery, that eating healthy food every day, even in that small amount becomes its own habit. Then it can grow. Then a stock of celery becomes two socks of celery. Then it becomes a little apple in the morning that whatever, that's the small steps as they progress, you move them bigger and bigger, but you start out by doing like something that doesn't cause you overwhelm, that doesn't cause you dread, that doesn't expend your willpower. You figure out what that small step is for you that gets you moving and continuing to move long enough where it actually becomes a habit. And that's for most people is the goal. Most people, well, hundred percent of people I've ever worked with don't want to lose weight and gain it back. I'll put it that way. They want to, yeah. they want to keep it off. They don't want to, they don't want to do a diet. They want to be somebody, be somebody who is at a healthy weight. That's very different than pretending to be somebody at a healthy weight. And so it's, it's the sticking with it long enough to make that transition. Wow. Yeah. Powerful, powerful stuff there too. I, number one, I couldn't agree more. It, it reminds me, I saw this meme. I think we shared on Instagram some time ago. There's this turtle crossing the street. You know, it's a real picture of a turtle um, or, you know, I don't know, tortoise <laughs> in any event. Uh, the, but the meme says your speed doesn't matter. Forward is forward. And at some point, maybe your speed will matter more to you. But I think there's something about triggering the uh, prefrontal cortex or whatever. I don't know all the terms in the brain, but these things that I've listened to in books, that's what comes to my mind <laughs> as we talk here, that, that it triggers like a whole possibility of changes. Like Mel Robbins with her five second rule. She talks about countdown. There's something I know I need to do. Five, four, three, two, one, get up off your rear end and do it. Whether that's eat the celery, whether that's exercise, whether that's read a book, whether that's take care of the kid's job, whatever, all these things that are, we consider maybe sometimes various degrees of hard that we just trigger the prefrontal cortex or whatever, if I'm incorrect. And, <laughs> and there's just something about, okay, now we have the ability, like you talk about with the celery to, to make a change. When you say this thing, Sid, about you find, correct me if I'm wrong. What you said a little bit ago was about, you want to help people find their true self first and then establish habits. Um, is there a process or particular things or questions maybe we should ask ourselves and each other to find our true self, especially if someone's struggling with something? Or again, correct me if I'm wrong, if I misunderstood what you said. <laughs> no, no, you're right on the money. And by the way, the prefrontal cortex I talk about a lot, that's the, that's the executive, they call it executive thinking. That's the, the thing that's, and, and I think it's very 
interesting that adults will jump into a diet. Um, they'll struggle with food. They'll have, you know, tough times. Um, I did a, my second book's called raising healthy parents. It's a, it's a, not a parenting, it's not teaching people how to parent, but it's teaching people, parents how to maintain their stress so that they can parent however they want uh, more effectively. Um, the, a lot of times parents will say, well, I'm, I'm empowering my child to make his or her own choices around food. And I think that's insane. I think it's insane because of the prefrontal cortex. The prefrontal cortex is the executive thinking. It's the ability for us to say, I am craving that donut, but I'm not going to eat it. I actually don't want it. I crave it but I don't want it. That's the prefrontal mm. cortex in a nutshell. It's the ability for us to rise above that kind of lizard brain, reactive, fear-based kind of survival part of our brains, which is there too, and make a more yes. executive decisions, even if we might not feel like it in the moment. It is that getting off the couch, uh, even though there's no real reason to in terms of survival. Um, it's making that executive decision to do that. And it's very interesting to me, but it takes 25 to 26 years for that to mature. So, Adults mm. I work with are struggling with food. Kids are just, they need the guidance. They're not there yet. You know, like they need the, the modeling and the guidance of parents to show them a way that we can't just hand that, the reins over to a child who's nine years old and say, yeah, make your own choices. It's empowering. It's not empowering. They're not there yet. They need the guidance from us. Mm. That is the prefrontal cortex um, at work. My process of getting somebody to define themselves is simply by moving them to to understand the what is their ideal so hmm. the exercise that i have them do is called the ideal idea and that's to pretend that they have no idea how they've been living they have no idea they have a blanket over their heads and they have no idea about anything that's going on in their lives and somebody goes up to them and says, you're living your ideal life. You're living your perfect life. You're so lucky. What is that? And they write it down. And this process is difficult, I will tell you. It takes sometimes people weeks to kind of, if never asked these questions, like, what is my ideal? We are so wrapped up in everything we're doing wrong and beating ourselves up. that We've never said like, well, who am I really? If I were living my ideal life, what would it look like? Yeah. So they write that down. And in, in present in present tense, by the way, they write it. They don't say I will be at a healthy weight. They go, I'm at a healthy weight. I have a healthy relationship with food. I eat well most of the time. Sometimes I eat junk food. Don't really care. Don't beat myself up about it. I run ultra marathons. I play guitar. I write music. I write uh, books. I hang out with friends this much. I travel. All these things. I live in this kind of house in this town. They, they, they define it, sometimes in great detail. Then they look at that and they say, well, there are things in my life that I'm doing that's on this, what I just wrote, but then there's other things that aren't. So then the process begins of getting more of the person that's on that page out into the world. And that is the long-term uh, process of this, but that's, it's, it sounds maybe easy, but it's, I'm telling you people, that's why I'm a coach because people struggle with it. And we kind of go back and forth of like, let's get down here. I don't, I've never written it for somebody. I've never said, don't you think I go, no, I just want them to have a, a, a the ability to get that out. And it's, it's harder than you think if you're 50 mm -hmm. and you've lived your whole life and kind of done the thing. And you've sometimes never asked yourself who you are because it's kind of a, it's a weird thing to do because obviously you do know how you've been living. So if you're obese and you write, I'm at a healthy weight, it feels weird and it feels wrong. But in effect, it's actually the most right you've thought in potentially your whole life. It's the most correct thinking you've done because you've, you've disregarded how you've been behaving 
and said, well, who am I at my core? Then you start to be able to look at how you've been behaving as simply not you. It's just not who I am. Mm -hmm. And I got to bring this other person out because this is who I am. And it just is a very um, liberating and empowering way to look at your, at your life and stop, you know, defining yourself by things you've been doing and instead say, no, that's, that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I might, I'm going to keep doing it for a while, but it's not who I am. So now the real work begins and that's, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the profound part of this. Yeah. It's, it's tough. Excuse me. Facing reality of, you know, some obstacle that may be unintentionally self-imposed in our world, or maybe through family, parents and whatnot, especially when it comes to eating, like that's really a great place to talk about anyway, because everyone for the most part is eating or else we wouldn't be, you know, around when we're 30, 40, 50 and beyond. Uh, And so it's like such a big part of all of our lives. We're not all smoking crack. We're not all obese. We're not all this, but that is related to food. Um, But do you ever run across uh, I mean, I'm sure you do. What we do as people is we find a way to justify things. Like in my case, I'll just use me as an example. I grew up with single dad and we ate lots of fast food and, you know, he, he was working all the time. He, he did his best and love you, dad, if you're listening. It's, uh, <laughs> but he couldn't always like cook a well-balanced meal. And uh, even when he tried to cook, a lot of times it was something quick and stuff too. And he tried his best and I appreciate that. But it's, it's so it's easy to get to a place where we justify, where we say, okay, I'm not going to eat healthy because of something like that. That's what I'm just used to. That's what I do. That's what our family does. And furthermore, eating healthy costs more money. It's more inconvenient or people, defi- like we said earlier, they, they decide to assign this meaning so that they can then build a wall around it and say, that's not me. <laughs> what do we do about this natural human tendency of justification, Sid? Yeah, well, it's there. It's, I've certainly struggled with it. I hate being wrong. I hate being wrong about myself. I hate making <laughs> mistakes. Yeah. Um, you know, and so we will go to great lengths to be to be right um, to justify. There's a huge energy expenditure to that um, that is exhausting, and it and it creates a um, you know a, I think a worse experience of life doing that. And so that's definitely a struggle with me. Um, you know, I can't, I, I've had clients say, what about my husband? He doesn't eat very well. And I want to get, it's like, it's not about him because he has to be the person who goes, I want to improve my life until that person makes a decision that they want to do better, that they want to live better, that they want to feel better. And again, like I said, not about a scale weight. Like when somebody comes to me, they go, they want to lose weight. I go, why? I always go, why? Well, cause I want to be at a healthy weight. I go, why? Then you get to the real reasons. Well, I want to be around for my kids longer. Mm-hmm. I want to be able to travel. I want to be able to do cool stuff. I want to be able, you know, it's like, it's never about a scale weight, never about weight loss. You know, when you look at food and go scale weight, it's, of course, people are going to get crazy about food and feel restrictive and get all militant and rigid about food. If, if, if they make it about a scale weight or about not getting diabetes, but if you make it about energy and doing, having adventures and being with a family, being with your spouse and living as long as you can and having a good life during that time. All of a sudden, it's the least restrict, least restrictive thing you can do is to nourish yourself most of the time. Um, so for me, it's it's you know, it's that process of shedding that kind of justifying place, that kind of making yourself right place, and being a person who's open to things. That's the mental side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the philosophy side of this. Is how can you be open to things? And once you're open to things, and not, it's interesting. People will instead of trying something new that's that's uncomfortable they will gravitate towards things that are 
that they understand and that are familiar and that they know, even if those things don't serve them, like they'll continue eating a bad diet, even though it's making them unhappy and miserable because the idea of doing something new and different is, is more, it's more fearful than falling back to the comfort ways. And that's by the way, why I think most diets fail. It's a new thing and it's exciting in the beginning, but once that excitement wears off and you don't have the tools to continue it, you're going to go right back to the old ways because you're, you know, those things, that's how you've self-identified. That's how you see yourself ultimately until you make that long-term change. And so you're going to fall right back to the old ways, even if they don't serve you, you know, people go, why well, just do this? I go, was that serving you? You feel good about that? Mm -hmm. No. Okay. Well, are you willing to do the hard work? Because this is hard work. This is the ultra marathon of life. If you want, if you want to be uh, cheesy, the ultra, mm -hmm. it's the long mm -hmm. view of life. You, you have take, you got to take your time. If you're going to make that change, you got to take your time, but you got to want it first, you know? So I, I can't, I can't work with somebody and don't want to, I, I, you know, and I wouldn't ever foist it on anybody if they want it badly and they're willing to trust me. I, if they don't trust me, find somebody who you do trust that, that, that can guide you in the, in the process long enough to actually make that change long-term. And boy, it's, it's pretty awesome when it does. Oh yeah. Yeah. When you say they got to want to, it's like, uh, and I remember someone taught me this a while ago, someone had taught them that, uh, you need to go to a place called Gadawana, and they kind of start <laughs> talking about all this place. And it's this location we need to get to called Gadawana. <laughs> in English, yeah. you know, we shorten things that I are like not that. too want to, but Gadawana is yeah, a yeah, place yeah. that we need to go to together, me, you, and everyone else. And then we make a decision. Yeah. Like Tony talks about, the, I learned this from him that the word decision literally means to cut off. You have to get to a place where you literally yeah. cut off the other nonsense. Let's face reality. There is a better way. Let's lift our lives to that next level and beyond. And again, we could, we've been talking so much about so many awesome things. Let's talk about your book here. I'm, I'm really excited okay. about this, especially in light of our conversation. Six truths, live by these truths and be happy. Don't, and you won't. That's very matter of fact, very to the point. When is this book <laughs> coming out? Tell me more. Uh, it's coming. It's coming out on April. I always giggle at that subtitle, but nobody else has. Uh, I, I'm the only <laughs> one who thinks that's kind of funny. But anyways, um, yeah. uh, it's coming out April 13th on Rarebird. Uh, Rarebird Books. I'm really excited. It's a new publisher that I've that I have now, and I'm very excited to be working with them. Um, yeah, April 13th. It's a it's a philosophy of happiness book. It's um, six truths, um, like like the title says, and it's just my exploration of themes that I find universal to human beings that we want to be happy. Um, I know that sounds trite, but capturing that, that we thrive in hard work, that we can try our best to escape hard work and try to, yeah. to, to avoid hard work, but there we expend a lot of stress and energy trying to do so. And when we kind of accept that it's hard work to live a good life, even maybe potentially now more than ever, mm -hmm. and we just embrace that, then we, we thrive. Um, that, that most of happiness is in the hard work. It's earned. Things that you earn um, feel good when you're handed lottery money. It sounds good. Oh, if I could just win the lottery, but there's actually a lot of people that win lottery that aren't happy and that end up going bankrupt and have really hard lives. Um, things that are handed to people, um, don't feel as good as when you earn them. Um, and I think when we, there's just certain truths that I explored in the book. Um, it's a fun book to read by the way, and it's chopped up in a, in a cool way. Like you can kind of grab it and grab a page. I want it to be very conversational and very accessible and fun and, and in a way, a quick read, awesome. um, putting social, putting, putting social media in context, um, thickening your skin, you know, not being as sen so sensitive, but not, not too insensitive, you know, that balance of kind of what it really means to be a thriving human being in the modern world. And that's what I wanted to explore in the book. 
That's so awesome. <clears throat> I'm excited for it. And uh, so April 13th, people can, and this will be available probably everywhere people get books, Amazon and all the various places, right? Or no? Yeah, and it's actually there for, it's, no, no, it's in, in, it'll be in bookstores, act physically, and it'll be in you know, everywhere. It's actually available for pre-order right now. So it's on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and you can find it in a multitude of places. But yeah, it'll be, it'll be physically in, in bookstores and all, obviously online, wherever cool. you can get books, it'll be there. Have we recorded yeah. an audio book of it or no, not yet? It's, it's, well, it's, it's, fu- it's funny that you mentioned that um, it, there will be an audio book. And the, I talked about this on my podcast. because I thought it was so funny, but um, the, <laughs> I, I, because I was an actor, I thought, well, I'll maybe I can read my own audio book. And so the publisher said, well, we work with this company. And so I had to submit a five minute um, clip of me <laughs> reading my own book. And I have yeah. a pretty good setup because I'm a podcast. I have a nice, you know, anyway, I didn't get the part. And uh, I always thought that was so funny because I was like, yeah. so they hired uh, this guy, you know? And so I, just, but, but so I heard, so I, two weeks ago, the publisher said, listen, they liked your clip, but like they got this guy that they really want. And he sent me a clip of the guy and he's excellent. Like I'm, I'm totally fine with it. But I just thought it was funny because I was like, I'm auditioning to read my own book and they did not get the part. Um, <laughs> but it makes sense. Like they got, they got a guy and they're going to have a producer in the room with a, in a professional studio. And here I am in my basement, you know, with my podcast setup. So it made sense, but it was just kind of funny to me. I was like, oh, I didn't get my own part. Damn. Yeah, no uh, so yeah, but there will be an audiobook as well. Exciting. That's, a, I mean, obviously a little yeah. ironic, but, uh, and speaking of your podcast, <laughs> yeah. what Sid thinks podcast, right? Right. And, uh, of course, yeah. you've got these two other books, Approaching the Natural, a Health Manifesto, and then the other book that we mm-hmm. touched on briefly, Raising Healthy Parents, Small Steps, Less Stress, and a Thriving Family. And then the new book, Six Truths, coming out here in April. That's, it's all exciting stuff and, and couldn't be more timely and, you know, all the things going on in the world. And so I encourage everyone to go turn to that. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I know you've got places to go and things to do, my friend. No, I just had a great time talking to you and your questions are great. And it was fun to talk about, I've never been asked about ultra marathoning in terms of the philosophical side of it. So it was very, it was really fun. I'm really happy you had me on. That's awesome. Well, and I've found in life, just about everything, if you really want to dig deep, has some way that we can twist and find something philosophical in there, something uh, about the nature of us as people. But again, I, I could go real deep down a rabbit hole there and I'm not, cause in the interest of time right now, we'll have a, maybe we'll have a sequel, but uh, <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. Anytime. Uh, so again, pick up the book, six truths, April 13th. And uh, until next time for our audience, we're flattered you spend time with us. Thank you. And uh, go empower yourself, empower the world around you. Thanks so much for listening to empower humans. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review this podcast. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit EmpowerHumans.com. We'll catch you next time.